Welcome to the Naked Ambition Podcast, where we speak with the people who are making an impact in tech, innovation, and leadership all around the world. I'm your host, Fiona Triaka. We're talking to Lee Duncan this morning, who is uh, the Enterprise Design Sprint Leader at IBM, based out of North Carolina. Lee um, has had an incredible career, over 20 years Um, at IBM, he's helped support an experimental mode of working and has actually helped kick off design sprints as a method and a way of working at IBM. Uh, But it doesn't stop there. He was also recognised this October uh, for an International Stevie Award for Miracle, which is a not-for-profit Chainyard and IT People Corporation, and who together created a new blockchain technology for disaster relief. So it'd be awesome to hear a bit more about that. So, Lee, welcome. Uh, Tell us more about you and the incredible work that you're doing over there at IBM. Sure. So, yeah, I've been working at IBM for a very long time. In fact, I can hardly remember my first day. I'm going on 21 years. And so I was born at IBM. Uh, and actually before that I worked at GE for one year. So all I know are large companies. Mm. Incredible. So what, um, what brought you to the work that you're doing at the moment? So actually I want to dive into talk to about what is for the benefit of all of us, what is an experimental office mode or office way of working at IBM? Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, for the most part, I just, I question everything. I question Mm -hmm. the work that I'm doing, the means that I have. Uh, the methodologies that I use. And so everything is experiment. As we say at IBM, every day is a prototype. Cool. And tell us about what the work that you're doing uh, with the design sprints over there. So um, I'm running uh, design sprints where um, we come together about Mm -hmm. once a quarter and um, we we basically focus on um, AI. Wow. Okay. So you're looking for everything you can around AI at IBM. So all of the opportunities, any problem that you can solve using it. Can you tell us a bit more? Are you allowed to share sort of some of what that project yeah, involving? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think through what I can, what I can tell you. Yeah, cool. Um, so we run typically um, small sprints between five and seven people. Mm-hmm. And uh, we focus on anything transformation. Mm. Okay. Anything transformation, yeah. anything AI. Mm-hmm. So famous, IBM's pretty famous for Watson. So you started some of this thinking pretty early on. How has that evolved with some of the work that you're doing at the moment? Yeah, so in transformation, we do a lot of work um, taking a look at the tools we use mm-hmm. inside IBM as opposed to external facing. Yep. And uh, as a result of that, we take a look at the Watson tool set mm-hmm. and we try to figure out how we can infuse Watson what are some of the ways we can improve our current tools? So I would say the majority of our sprints are how can we add uh, AI? How can we uh, infuse Watson? How can we infuse blockchain? Mm-hmm. And a, num- a number of tools that IBM uh, supports and has, and has created. Mm. So I think what, what Watson, remind me, has probably been around at IBM, I mean, in its current form, in the re-release for, what, 15, 20 years? Yep. So it's yeah. probably been around for most of your lifetime there. What's, what, uh, how do you deploy it? I don't know, there's sort of, there's enterprise external facing 
Watson, and then there's what you're doing internally. Can you give us some examples of some of the things that it's solving for and doing? Yeah, so we have something called code patterns. Mm -hmm. um, and code patterns are typical ways of applying AI and applying Watson. So we try to um, make everyone aware of the APIs that are available. We have a lot of internal education to make sure how people can have uh, a cognitive mindset. They can understand and appreciate all the different capabilities and they can think through um, how to infuse Watson into their work. Um, a lot of people think that what they're up to and what, what they're working with is not a good candidate for AI, mm. but in fact it is. Uh, they, um, they, and, and most of the time it's just a, a, a factor of them not appreciating, um, not appreciating the easy ways of infusing, uh, AI and Watson. Mm. What is an example of that? What's something that people kind of ignore and don't think that, that AI would be helpful where it is a really obvious one. Yeah. I would say that, um, for the most part, it reduces uh, duplicate work or entering information. There's a lot of things we do over and over um, and we think it's necessary and it, and it can't be done with AI, but a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of the serious efficiencies occur in the, um, in the back office work yeah. and just, yeah, just the duplicate information, um, those types of things. Most people, when they think about AI, they think about um, deep computing or they think about quantum solving some really complex math problem or coming, coming up with a cure for cancer. Mm -hmm. But usually the majority of it is automation mm -hmm. and robotics mm -hmm. and just automating rote tasks, things that uh, people do over and over. I know that's not an exciting answer, <laughs> but, um, but if we can spend less time, um, is, for example, sellers putting information over and over where it can anticipate those moves and the information that's being put in, it's able to, to bring up client information, um, et cetera, then that's time where they could actually be um, solving new problems and coming up with new ideas. Hmm. Okay. So eliminating that automation and how far along are your, would you say internally, culturally, you're pretty sophisticated at IBM at that now? Yes, I mean, we, we've, uh, we, I know, obviously I'm going to say this because I work for IBM, but, um, and by the way, all, all of these comments are my opinion. They, yeah. <laughs> they don't really reflect that of my employer. So if I, if I, uh, if I say something crazy, it's on me. Yeah. But, um, uh, but yeah, we, we've been at it for a long time and we like to think that we're a leader in, a, in AI. Mm. Um, so uh, I would say what we're working on right now is just making AI available to the masses. Mm. allowing for non-technologists to be able to apply and understand AI. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing. And, and as I mentioned, um, there's a common belief that you have to be applying it to something really special, but mm. in, in managing very basic tasks, I think that's huge. And, um, and to be able to do it at scale, I think mm. is a huge thing. We have several hundred thousand employees and we work with a lot of business partners. Yeah. And to be able to manage things at tasks, um, I think is, is important. Mm. So I think staying on that and thinking about, you know, rolling things out at scale as an organization, and obviously you, you would have been a huge part of this. So you're working out in North Carolina, which is the biggest base of IBM, IBM in North America. North America. Yep. 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 Um, um, 
IBM has been probably the leader of design-led thinking or one of the leaders of design-led thinking internally for a really long time, be a starter of that. What does that look like internally? How does that manifest in the culture? How, does that, how do you keep that, that up, I suppose, is the question. Yeah. Um, so we are not shy about, about, about saying that we, we, want, we, we want to be the largest design thinking organization, the most human-centered. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think there have been numerous articles um, written on that, uh, not shying away from that, very bold mm-hmm. um, papers written on, on how, we, how we're trying to do that and how we want to scale design thinking. But yeah. I can remember seven to ten years ago, we weren't doing design thinking as much. In fact, I was involved with Agile. Mm. And, uh, and, and what I was focusing on at that time was, was work called model office and a model office that is where you come in and you try to apply some agile methodology to transform things. Mm. I was asked to do that. And, uh, I was asked to come in and, and transform, um, security, some work in security and, um, and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And they knew that I was a bit of a wild duck, another IBM term. Yeah. Some of it things differently. And I said, well, come in and try to transform this department with Agile. Um, and it worked. They liked the fact that back to where I started, I question everything. I question um, what I do, why I do it. Mm. Uh, and I was questioning the ceremonies and the practices, why we're having meetings, why certain metrics were being collected, why we were doing the work we were doing. Was it human-centered? And it was very successful. Uh, I was asked to do that a few more times. Anyway, the reason why I mentioned that is because um, they came to me and said, well, there's this new thing out and it's called, of course it had been out a while, but not, not so well practiced at IBM. They said, well, you're really into transformation. You think differently. Why don't you explore design thinking? And I had the opportunity to go to um, our Austin, Austin, Texas site, mm-hmm. actually the flagship location studio for design. And I was able, I was able to go to, to the boot camp, and I learned everything about it. Mm. Uh, and I think the the day after I arrived, they came out with the Infinity logo, mm. and the Infinity mm. logo shows the the three major steps for IBM, which is observe, reflect, and make. Mm-hmm. And that was great. And we had the website, uh, so I was able to meet a lot of the designers there. Um, and since then, they've they've gotten huge. And as I think the goal of that that first location was to develop the practice. Mm. To, really get good at it and uh, be able to scale the practice from its place of origin there. Uh, so there was culture being created. There was a practice being created. There were artifacts, uh, all the rest. And after that, everything kind of um, grew. Mm. And, and I, the Austin site was known as, as the origin. But, but what was required at that time, since there wasn't a really strong design culture, was um, was that Austin site was having to lead a lot of the design work because no one else had the experience. So anyway, it was a lot of um, work to get that started. It wasn't so organic at the beginning, but after that, it, it, it grew. In fact, now I think we have somewhere between five and 7,000 designers, classically trained designers. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's a really big deal. And, and a few years after that, we opened up something which we refer to we, we refer to as Enterprise Design Thinking EDT, mm-hmm. and that is an online series of coursework where you can get badged up uh, inside of IBM 
we're able to see who has the qualifications and skills for design. So when you're starting a project, you can basically select what it is, uh, what, you know, what skills you need, uh, what experience you need, and enterprise design thinking, the badges, et cetera, are able to pre-qualify individuals. And we also offer that to the outside. And last thing I'll say is, um, is now, and I'm in selling mode now, is, um, is that we also sell it as a practice. So we've, we've gotten so confident in it and we've seen the, re- the results that now we're external facing. We had a forester study that we, we completed, um, or I guess we supported. We, 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 start, we, we, I don't know. We asked, we asked to have, um, uh, yeah, have yeah, yeah. I have, have yeah. written and that's out there on the web. You can see that as far as the ROI of design. And, and one other thing I'll mention is with, transformation, we find that um, it's not usually the technology that leads transformation, although that's the default way of thinking, it's the culture and and IBM design thinking has created that culture. Mm. So interesting because it's, I mean, coming back to talking about, you know, you're saying five to 7,000 people now uh, trained up are able to actually execute at that sort of practice level on projects they're badged up so you know who to bring into projects it's it's the dream of so many organizations to be able to have that to one have that capability internally but also have that visibility of where that actually sits so that you can bring people in at the right time so that what you know in practice it sounds incredible but in practice does that does it work as effectively as it sounds or do you run into kind of challenges sometime in terms of not being able to get the right people what does that look like? Well, uh, I would say that the, um, the skill sets required are different in, in uh, some areas. Mm. For example, in Austin, I would say it's deep craft where visual design is quite, and again, this is just my opinion. Mm. Visual design, I think is important. I think there's quite a bit of, of front end design skills and expertise. And I would say there's also deep research and de- design yeah, I would say there's design research capabilities there yeah. where in other areas they're doing a lot more building. Mm-hmm. So um, being able to storyboard and rapid prototype and be really good with those tools, I think it's important making it real. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, I would say it, it's different depending on the organization you work with and what are their requirements and what, yeah, how do they, what, what is their unique culture? But that, 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 that has been my experience. And tell us where design sprints fit. So you mentioned seven years ago, you know, the organisations were going from agile, we're on the journey of saying, let's use more human-centred design, let's bring this into more projects. Now we're doing more design sprints. And sometimes we hear, like, the purists out there, like, we know there is a difference between (laughs) design sprints. You know, we lean on some of the methods, but we don't use everything. What's, how has that, the design sprint method, grown internally at IBM and how have you played a part? Sure. Um, and, and let me actually just add also, because this kind of weaves well into the story I was telling. Yeah. Um, so back to enterprise design thinking, yeah. I started getting really good at enterprise design thinking, but even then I was questioning, well, can, can I add on to this? I want to make sure I'm always outward looking. And that's when I came across design sprints. Mm-hmm. And I saw what was happening at Google Ventures and... Um, for me, a lot, as far as the way I was approaching design, it was multi-month and everything was kind of fragmented. Uh, but I was observing that within five days, 
they could get people in a room, they could align on the problem, do ideation, uh, prototype it, and do user testing. And I said, well, I need, I need to do this. I need to figure it out. Uh, and then I started running some experiments with enterprise design thinking and also total pure uh, GV method. Mm. But because IBM was very focused on enterprise design thinking, I, I wanted to create a unique sandbox to explore that more. And actually, we created one of the few internal design agencies at IBM, which we call Design to Deliver, also known as D2D. Mm. Yeah. And uh, in there, that's where I also had license to explore uh, as long as it was yielding value mm. and it was elevating the group and the culture. I was able to experiment with it. Uh, so it was, it was basically a sandbox. And that's why I started doing design sprints and modifying design sprints. We recently came up with a AIOT design sprints. So um, artificial intelligence of things. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so we call it cyber, cyber physical sprints. So we, we developed that in there. And I would say if I was in other areas which were really rooted in a specific practice, I probably wouldn't have had the flexibility to think outside those lines. And that's why I really appreciate, I really appreciate the fact that we're be able to do that in DDD. But we've been running a lot of sprints. Uh, I have run probably somewhere between one and 200 um, sprints. And, a, and a, a fair amount of those have been virtual. Mm. But there are, there are all different types of sprints we run. Sometimes we run um, just a straight iteration sprint, which is we just want to improve on something. Uh, other times it's a concept sprint where we're testing something. Mm -hmm. And then we also do longer sprints, like sprint quarters. Mm -hmm. that uh, Stefan from Design Sprint Switzerland came up with. And those are longer sprints and those involve multi-teams. Mm -hmm. And I, I, would, I would also add that since we've been doing, been doing so many sprints, people now believe in us. And where we are maybe at the beginning just doing sprints on designing the color of a button, now we're really into the AI uh, side of things. So the sprints are longer, they're deeper, they're deep tech, and they're more, um, multi, you know, they're more technical. So we have to bring experts in mm. and, and with that process just the observing and understanding can take many days as opposed to a, a classical design sprint may only be a half a day or so to have experts come in. Can you talk to us a little bit more about those quarter sprints? So you're talking about where there's a big challenge, something's going to take a lot of time to tackle, we need more people involved. Is, is AI one of those examples? Is there, are they the topics that you need to tackle over the quarter? Yeah, so there, one, you have a bunch of issues. One is the, tech, the technology is so sophisticated and sometimes bleeding edge that no one person knows it. So just in that one domain space, you may require three to 10 experts. Whereas in a normal design sprint, you would have one, two, three, or four experts. But um, sometimes we have to bring in a bunch of people. And by the way, because we're in deep tech, um, we deal in multi-technology. So it could be AI, it could be blockchain, could be Robox and automation, on and on and on. Um, and really focused on cloud because we want to be AI and we want to be cloud. We're, we're super clear now. We were doing a lot, we're doing a lot of, we're always doing a lot of things, but now for clarity's sake, we want to be a, a cloud company and we want to be an AI. So anyway, the point of me saying that is not only are in any, any one of these, these domain spaces complex requiring multiple experts, but they usually have multiple series of technologies. So we have to bring all those individuals in, make sense of, do, do a lot of sense making, 
give enough time to them, also be able to capture it and make sure it's useful for the sprint. It takes, takes a while. So the structuring the sprint, being really purposeful in who we bring in, the timing of it. Many times these are experts, so they're just not hanging around their laptop waiting for me to <laughs> ask if they'll show up. So you have, I mean, the scheduling, there's so many things that are really difficult and that's why it takes a while. And we really have to be diligent to make sure we're, we've listened deeply. Mm-hmm. And we also need to make sure that we're doing enough pre-work in regards to the understanding the user, um, bringing the user. So there's a lots of uh, complexities of understanding and knowing and observing and reflecting. Mm. So many questions in that. The first one is around how I, I saw you actually post on Twitter the other day. You were saying, I'm coming up with 12 of the best research questions that everyone needs to ask. This is going to be, these are going to be the ultimate questions. So uh, what is that? How do you balance that, you know, just enough research question for each sprint before you go in? How do you and the team kind of tackle that? Well, it's hard. There was, um, I think there's some articles on that, that discuss the importance of, you know, we're all, we all think about brainstorming ideas. And of course we know better than to brainstorm solutions for the beginning, but what, what the real, uh, interesting aspect of that is brainstorming questions. People need to be brainstorming questions as much as they're brainstorming ideas because you only have a few opportunities to find things out. And if you don't ask the right questions, you've missed it. And by the way, if you think of the question when you're in the shower the next day or laying, you know, laying in your bed in idle time, um, you, you know, you're just going to be kicking yourself. Regret is incredibly painful. And so that's why it's really important to, as part, as part of your process, have sessions that are strategic, they're intentional, they're structured, they have a deliverable on coming up with questions and make sure everyone agrees to them and, and, we're, you know, and we're not asking duplicate questions and, and also they're aligned with the long-term goal, the thing we want to, the, the intent. Mm. So having good questions, never missing a moment, never missing that opportunity to ask questions, I think is really, really, really important. Yeah. But are you also bringing that in or are you talking specifically about asking those questions within the sprint, the sprint group that you've got? Are you talking about pre-research? Like obviously it differs, but what's your kind of advice there? Yeah. So we would think of it as um, design sprint zero Mm, or whatever sprint zero, design zero, where Mm. we, the team, once we've established the team, and by the way, we've, we've developed a, a team racy, so we try to figure out who's, you know, who's accountable, who's responsible. We do all that. That's all part of the intention. And once you have that team, then you establish some facilitation method to come up with questions. So we, we do that as a team. And we try to make sure everyone's involved because we find the beginner's mind of even those that aren't close to it, ask the best questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's really important. And then, and then just enough research or just, just enough understanding. I think that's huge. Um, so we, we, we look at Erica Hall and her work. Um, we look at, we have a, as I said, we have an army of design researchers at IBM. We have dedicated Slack channels and just go in there and surf around for a while. And pretty soon you're going to feel like you all, you know, you're feeling pretty dangerous. You have enough information knowledge. <laughs> so anyway, we, we, we take a look at that. And, um, and also what I've been working on is establishing a kit mm-hmm. one weekend, we can, empower and give agency to the technologist to mm-hmm. ask the right questions, become user-centered. So that lightweight kit 
of 15, 20 questions, universal questions to give to them allows them to be effective and they don't, always, they don't have to be dependent on us as, as designers. Mm. Is that kit available to the public? Is Not yet, but it might be. Okay. It might right. be. Stay tuned, everyone. I think there'll be a few people wanting to get their hands on that kit. So let's stay in there as well. There's a really interesting comment you made about, you know, the getting really good at modifications to the sprint. You know, that's so much a part of it. It's we've all read the blue book or a lot of people have starting at that point of understanding that the five originally or the four day GV design sprint. And then in different organizations, it's being modified for different purposes, um, including one big one that you're in now, which is the global virtual design sprint um, by Robert Scrobe and the team. My question there is what any advice that you could give to people listening to this um, around making decisions about modifications. How do you get really good at that? What are some of the lessons that you've learned over time or even maybe some of the failures? Yeah. Okay, so first I would say, as Jake Knapp writes in his book, you need to get a lot of reps in. So for example, uh, if you're doing enterprise design thinking, do a lot of it. Make sure you understand the foundation, observe other people, do a ton of ride-alongs until you know it cold. For design sprints, the same thing. Do a, do a lot of them. You need to get what I refer to as experience hours. Mm. Experience hours is like flight hours, right? You, they just don't let anyone fly a plane. You need, to, you need to suffer a little bit, make some mistakes in the moment. Yeah. Those types of lessons are the most enduring. So do, do a lot with the classic approach where you have it ingrained. Mm. You have it ingrained, it's muscle memory. Once you have that down and you've been successful, then I would start off each event with thinking, why are we here? What do we want to achieve? And making sure that, that you need to have a meeting. Sometimes you need, to, you need to not have a meeting. There's articles written on this as well. You know, <laughs> when to sprint and when to, when to do something else. There's a lot of really smart articles on that. So it, if you need to be there and, and you understand the intent, you align in the intent, then you think about, about the methodology that you're using. Um, and if the intent requires you know, after you've considered universe of methodologies, if the intent requires certain things to be embellished, you need to do that. And, and what I've been speaking to over the you know, last 10 minutes are deep tech, but there can be all different types of things. Sometimes, you know, there are branding sprints, there are research focused sprints, there are performance UX sprints. They have different requirements and you can't run it each sprint the same way. And when you have remote sprints, you can't be together that long and you may not be able to interact in the same way. And you really need to think about the needs to deliver. And I think it's also really important to remember that everything we do is in the service of delivering that thing, right? We don't get points for hanging out. <laughs> um, it's all about delivering the thing. I, and I think of it as like, if we were to run a marathon, we did tons of training and then I fell down a foot before at the end. <laughs> sure. My family would be impressed with me because they're required to, but, um, but you didn't finish. You, you didn't, you need to, you would, you, you DNF. You don't want to DNF on your, on your sprint and you don't want to DNF on your deliverable. So you, you need to think thoroughly about what methodologies are required, which ones are not, when to meet, how to gather, how long, 
who are the right people? You have to navigate the personalities as well. Sometimes you need to have productive troublemakers. Sometimes, right? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you'll have to anticipate the culture and you have to, I'm trying to think of the name of, of something we invented, which I should know for some reason escaping me, but we have, we basically have these, um, it'll come to me <laughs> tomorrow morning. Um, <laughs> we have, we have, we've, we've invented a role. We, yeah. We've invented a role in our design work where they are troublemakers. They're actually licensed and permission to ask questions. And we, we say that up front, like this person right here, they're going to be asking, they're going to be running forensics all through this whole thing and asking questions that are going to be painful for you. But by the way, the stuff we're not talking about is the stuff we need to talk about. Um, anyway, so that's a really complex way of saying, get a lot of practice, get rooted in, in the practice up front, and don't look around, have blinders on. And once you, get, when you, once you can do it cold, in your sleep, you can explain it to someone, you can explain it to, to, your, to your partner, um, and they understand it, then start really thinking through, what does this deliverable need? How can I navigate? Uh, the best way to get there, and and you throw it all into the into the the processor of well, how much time do I have to run the sprint? How long is the decider available? When are these experts available? What is the timeline of it? How much um, can we travel? What is the what is the what fidelity prototype do we need? What is the format of that prototype? Uh, how do we tie out with the stakeholders? How do we communicate with them? You know, it just goes in there. Right now when I say it, you know, it's starting to give me a headache immediately. But you have to, you have to think through those items, start with the basics, process the need, make sure you get the deliverable so you can deliver on time, and then pick that method, and, and then you deviate. So good. I love that. Just it's, we've got to get to the end. This is about, like, no one cares about the process. No one cares about how you got there or what it took to get through it. They just want to see that value at the end. That is your job. Yes. Sometimes when I, when I want to be really provocative, mm -hmm. I'll say mm -hmm. to people, um, you know, I'd run, if I literally today, if I saw a new methodology written on the side of a dumpster and I thought it was better, I would use it tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so I am open and up for anything. Yeah. Very outward. Yeah. And that's also why I'm really active on social media yeah. is, uh, and, and there's a, there's a quote, I think by Gary Vanderchuk, um, and it's something like, I'm in the business of changing my mind. Mm. And, and that's really what I like to think I am in as well, is I'm in the business of changing my mind. I'm in the business of destabilizing my worldview of, mm. wow, I can't believe I thought that was right, or I am doing it entirely wrong. Um, and I have to separate, you have to be, you know, um, you have to be able to kill your ego, ego from time to time. And strangely, I do enjoy that destabilizing, destabilizing <laughs> the worldview. Um, ego blows. I'm I'm good with it if I can deliver better. I can't believe you can't remember the name of who that agitator or troublemaker is because I think that sounds like you. You've seen, I got you've it. that a bit. You got it. I think it's innovation villain. Oh, no. <laughs> innovation villain, I believe, is what we call it. And it's uh, we haven't we haven't come up with a hat for it, but. Yeah. We usually call them out. Uh, we may even give them a name tag or something where people will not forget. And it's really interesting from a psychological perspective, what happens when you permission certain acts. And there are some acts that need to happen because we don't, from a, from a culture wise and just being human, we're respectful and everyone wants to be employed. You want your badge to work the next day. Yeah. And so you don't <laughs> want to make anyone upset. Um, so when you permission very strategic roles, especially ones that can, 
uh, unearth problems that that is very very therapeutic mm. i know someone listening who's going to love that i know an absolute innovation villain they're the best can you let's stay on people for a little bit like who do you look for you've had a, you know across your career you can see here there's a big pattern of probably not really asking for permission, just doing things, but then obviously that, you know, you're also working in an organisation that believes in this and there is a lot of trust. No doubt you've had to push some boundaries, but there's a lot of trust. How do you, how do you build teams or what do you look for in the people that you want to bring in, not even necessarily to a sprint because sometimes that's, that's predetermined depending on, you know, or you've got limited choices depending on what you're doing. But I'm just talking about your teams what are the characteristics that you look for in people to do this kind of work? Yeah. Uh, so as you were talking about a minute ago, I definitely am more of um, asking for forgiveness type of yeah. person. I just get, get after it. And I would say that's probably the type of people that I look into, uh, or look, you know, that I want involved with the sprint. They're individuals that are courageous. Mm -hmm. You really need a lot of courage. You need to be able to step out and say, you know, I think we should do it this way, have a point of view. And that's also why I really, really respect people that have a point of view, even when it's wrong. Yeah, I'll yeah. follow people with a strong point of view because it's provocative and makes people think. So I like people that, um, that have a point of view. Mm. They're willing to put themselves out there. I, uh, a, a quote that I heard not too long ago um, uh, was uh, as far as skill sets, this is also against the grain of everything you would hear anywhere else. But, um, but the quote is, you know, for skills, you want it an inch wide and a mile deep. Mm -hmm. We always speak when we're in public, we say we want T-shaped skills, right? Everyone should have T-shaped skills, as we say in public. But I look for people that are, have an in, you know, inch wide, mile deep. I want them to be remarkable in their craft. Like be thinking about it. They're following people. They're uh, running experiments. They are really pushing it. Mm -hmm. I like people that are pushing it. And I'm also obsessed with productivity, being mm -hmm. able to deliver. It's not enough just to know, even though it's, it definitely gets me interested, you know, uh, noticing individuals. Yeah. Um, so those things really need to be obsessed with delivering, execution, and your craft. Those are, those are the things that I, I look for. And then also, I think IDEO started, one of the reasons why IDEO started, which of course world famous design agency mm -hmm. and continues to be that way, it's still highly relevant, is I think the origin story of IDEO was they just want to work with their friends. Mm -hmm. That's the reason, right? Well, we, you know, we started this company because we want to work with our, with our friends. And I think there's something there, mm -hmm. something there. And a lot of times in my sprints, I just want to work with my friends. I want to be able to say what I'm thinking out loud. I want there to be psychological safety, which doesn't require 80% of the sprint to bring out. I want people to come to work as themselves, not with the work face, not with a veneer. And, and I would say that's huge for me. You really need to be low ego. You need to be low ego dissolved, um, highly skilled, focused on one thing, can execute amazingly well, probably need to have a, a sense of humor and know that I'm going to probably act a little crazy because that's my style. I'm very energetic and um, I ask for things that are usually impossible. <laughs> that's a good one. So you're role modeling some of that to, 
you know, for the sorts of people that you want, it sounds like you role model that in your teams. What are other ways that you, I guess, that you can influence the culture? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, I, I yeah, I try to model it. I try to, you got to see it to be it. And I try to act the part. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to be transparent and honest and authentic and occasionally, um, I don't want to say emotional, but I mean, I can express emotion if I'm upset or disappointed. Yeah. And that's a different one. People don't, don't do that, right? Le- leading through vulnerability, I think, is a huge one. And then another thing I say, which isn't done a lot within the enterprise, is I say, I don't know. I don't know the answer, actually. Can you help me with that? That, is not, <laughs> that does not happen a lot. Uh, so I need people that are not, are, are, you know, they're, when they know what they're talking about, um, uh, they're aware of it mm-hmm. and we're aware of it. And when, when they know, they don't know when they do what they're talking about, I need them to share that, not to lead us in, in, in a wrong direction. Yeah. So no bullshit you're talking about. We don't need that. Yes. Truth, let's be honest, if we don't know. I've got so many more questions for you. I'm just scribbling them down and I've thrown out the original script that we had here <laughs> with some questions and we're going to get into them, uh, keep going. But the beauty of us being live is that we've also got some participants on the line as well. So I want to, for anyone who's listening and is desperate to ask Lee a question, um, type it in to the little Q&A function here as well and we can uh, make sure that we get that question answered. So you actually tweeted something the other day that was from Ryan Holiday, who's written some awesome books, like The Obstacle is the Way is one of them. That's my absolute favourites. And he said, um, all you need every day are a few small wins. And this is related to, I think, a new book that he's got out. And you just said there that you're, you know, you're a productivity, you're obsessed with productivity. Can you tell us, like, what are some of those, those everyday habits or behaviours that have changed your life? Yes, yeah. So, first of all, uh, I, I recognize the dangers of task switching, always switching for different tasks. It's really a problem. That's a problem for our attention. It's anti-deep work. You're not gonna do anything meaningful that way, and you're gonna be tired out. Uh, so I really like monotasking, and I believe I've also developed a couple mural canvases that. Uh, that focus on this where um, where I, uh, I try to have one major thing that I'm going to do each day, one major thing that I absolutely must accomplish and it's going to be high value. And then I have a couple medium sized things and three small things. And I do that in the morning before I begin anything. And sometimes if, if I'm feeling low energy, I'll just write the big thing, right? It's in, the, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step and uh, if, and if I, by the way, if I accomplish that one big thing, I'm good. Uh, so keeping it simple. And I also think about, in my mind, I, I have this grid, which I'll refer to as, well, it's a, I, I kind of think about a visualized impact grid, yep. which is the feasibility and impact of everything. Mm-hmm. So in the morning, I'll, I'll basically diverge and do basically a solo note and vote. I'll do you know, three to five to 10 things, write them down and I'll self edit. And then from there I'll have the one thing or you know, and maybe the middle things and the, and the, and the, and the small thing. 
and, and that's how I do it. And I try to hold myself accountable. And a lot, and, and, um, and another thing is I, through my own self-talk, hold myself accountable for that one thing. And I'll say, look, you may not be feeling great today, but you need to get this, you need to get this out. You need to do it. And then if I can simplify and simplify my focus to that one thing, and I don't make it so difficult where I can come up with excuses not to, I'm usually able to deliver on it. Uh, but you know, there, there's always a voice in my head, um, that's trying to talk me out of it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I just need to focus on the one thing. And if I go into laser, laser mode, um, as I think is discussed in make time, I'm sure Jake and friends, if I go into laser mode, et cetera, focus mode, then I'm able to deliver on that thing. And I'll never feel bad because I usually accomplish that, that one thing, but usually um, that's the way it works. Mm. So grabbing that, I love the impact grid. I think that's absolutely gold for something in the morning. And just that, yeah, that concept of eat the frog, eat the biggest thing that you can do in the morning, mm-hmm. the toughest thing. Tell us what, how, has, how have you been impacted by everything that's going on at the moment and the change of work environment? Has this become, like, what has that done for your productivity habits? Is there anything else that, that you've needed to introduce. So you just spoke about that, that battle that we all have, which is, you know, sometimes uh, our unconscious is actually stopping us from doing the thing that is most important. It's like you're afraid of your own power potentially. So what, like, how do you overcome that at the moment? Is it, has it been harder? Definitely has been harder. I would say this, my personality is to run triage whenever there's a problem, which I'm not sure is healthy or, <laughs> or suggested. But I usually, if something really bad happens, and I would say, I would say that I've, had, I've been this way as, as a kid. Uh, I don't know why. But when bad things happen, I go into business mode. Um, and probably later I process it and I'm able, and I'm can be more expressive. So ever since this came on, um, obviously I was looking out for my family. I'm looking out for my parents, um, looking out for people I work with. And I just go into this serious clinical triage mode. Um, but all the while I'm thinking to myself, what is the, because sometimes I can be a little serious with this needs to be done, whatever. And, and other people may, may not be responding in that same way. They may need uh, time. They may need, maybe can't even be on camera, et cetera. IBM came up with actually a, um, a, a I'm going to call it a social contract. It's out there on the internet. I think everyone can have access to it and even share it where we, okay, we agree that uh, we're going to be sensitive to individuals and when you, sometimes you don't want to be on camera and on and on and on. Uh, So I looked at that and I reflected on it and um, I really try to contemplate how should I be right now? What should my tenor and tone be? Um, How forceful and aggressive should I be in regards to seeking out these tasks and these deadlines? Um, can I expect people to respond to me with, within a certain period of time? Should I downgrade my schedule and my ambitions for what, what I want to deliver? Uh, so I'm processing all those things. Um, but I do tend to approach things in a very, we'll call it semi-scientific clinical mode, mm. which is robotic. And um, I, I need to be self-aware of how that is. And we've all heard um, of of emotional IQ, 
which is having a elevated perception of what's going on around us and now bring it back to, well, how does that tie into the, the state of work that we have is I'm trying to develop uh, VIQ, which is virtual IQ. Yes. Uh, um, yeah. you know, can I, what can I observe psychographically with how people are responding to me? Where's their expression? Where are their eyebrows? Are they leaning and are they leaning back? What is their tone of voice? Um, Where's their, their uh, resting, resting face? Um, all those things I think about and try to process, where are they at? Are we, are we engaged right now? Um, are they tracking? Are they motivated? Are they upbeat? Are they happy? Are they sad? And especially in a work environment and working for a large corporation, people don't like to tell you they're sad or upset. So anyway, I'm trying to be on high alert for that. I'm observing and reflecting and processing the cues, the social cues, they're, they're there, and, and that's how I'm handling, handling this moment. So much in there. I think we were just having a conversation the other day, actually, with a couple of our partners about the, that missing piece that we haven't got at the moment, which is, you know, the ability to actually, well, I think we don't even realise how, how much we're feeling other people's energy when we are face-to-face with them, you know, and all of these things that you're actually your subconscious is picking up about how that person feels. Um, and there's absolutely no doubt it's just, it's just harder to do in the virtual environment. So that's, I love that idea of VIQ. I think that's really got something. Like just even, you know, we, we can only see this part, this much of each other, but what can we, um, what can we even pick up just from that view? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah virtual is definitely not as data rich. And yeah. you can only imagine all the different um, bits of information that are coming at you when we're in the right environment, tone, everything. Yeah. Um, I even, you know, when I'm in a work environment, I even try to look at how people are positioned in a room. Mm. You know a lot about how people are positioned in a room, how they're positioned at a table, um, what is their posture, all different, all different, and also back to forensics of a meeting, mm. as the conversation is going, who are they communicating with? Are they asking questions? Are they inserting themselves? Um, and you can, you can get a lot of data just by observing those, those uh, traits and try to also manage and optimize the room based mm-hmm. on that. Who should you be communicating with? What is the, the, what is the, uh, um, the power structure, the invisible power structure that is in this room? Yeah. Uh, and that's how you can, you can man- manage as um, you, can, you, know, you can engineer conversations that way. Yeah. So interesting. Tell us more, more about Lee, more about you and who you are. What is, what is, this is actually a zero to one question, that Peter Thiel question. What is something that is, that almost nobody believes or agrees with you on that you believe is fundamentally true? Um, I believe every moment most people just have a difficult, have difficulty with this. I believe every moment is, um, is one, I think we should take advantage of every single moment. Every moment we're making a decision and every day we make hundreds, thousands of decisions and our life and the trajectory is that uh, accumulation of decisions. So we, we shouldn't miss a moment just in the same way. I'm going to say something Lee, Lee, Leeism coming at you is <laughs> just for, it's just for example, meals. And food. Food actually is information. It's data. Every time we eat a meal, we're putting data into our body. 
It tells us to upregulate or downregulate gene expression. We're either improving our health or reducing our health with every bite of food, right? You can, you can turn on master gene expression regulators that control our immunity, um, that reduce the chance of getting cancer. We can improve BDNF, brain-derived nootropic factor by the different types of foods we eat. With every bite, we manage our entire everything, mm-hmm. our productivity, our cognition, um, our future. So I try to, I, I'm, I'm hyper intentional about every moment, every decision, every conversation, who I'm talking with. And um, other people disagree with me. They say, well, just live your life. Mm. You're, you're, you're overthinking this. But for me, especially with things I've experienced in my family, I know time really is precious. We, 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 we totally don't consider the, the, the time value of your life, mm. the opportunity available and we need we need to take advantage of everything i don't there are no throw away hours for me every moment i'm doing it to live life in the fullest way and the gift that i have received through living thus far is to recognize that Mm. love it it's goosebump stuff tell us did i mean is this has this been amplified by sort of what's been happening recently or is this what you've always believed well, um, it's, it's from what has happened recently, but I can tell you when, when I was young, so my family members had some medical problems mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, through many holidays, I actually, I was in the hospital next to, you know, my family members talking them through it, keeping them company. And I just noticed, um, you know, how important it is to value every moment. And, and life moves fast. It moves really fast. And uh, if it's, if it's uh, time with your family members or if, if it's spending time doing what you want or what you need to do, you need to take advantage of it. It, it really happens fast. And I, I, you know, that, that's definitely a, a gift that I received through that struggle. Um, and light, I would say light trauma of those difficulties, those were lessons I learned. But... Uh, that really has helped me out a lot to appreciate everything and appreciate every conversation that I have in every moment. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing all of that with us. And what, tell us what's next for you. So that's, you know, you're collecting a lot of data day to day. Yes. Some pretty incredible work. What's, what does the future look like for Lee? What are you really excited about at the moment? Uh, I would say what I'm really um, excited about is let me go back to to advertising mode is um, uh, IBM mm. is the, we're really focused on cloud. We we uh, of course um, made a pretty major acquisition with Red Hat. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about what that's what's going to happen there. I think also the culture of Red Hat is exciting. I'm I'm eager to see how that's going to merge uh, between IBM. Granted, they're, they are, they are separate. They're working totally separate day to day. We don't have a lot of interaction, but I'm, I'm, I have to believe over time, some of the ways of working uh, will trickle off and maybe some of the ways we work will, will rub off on them. So I'm really eager to see what's gonna happen there. And I think um, the impact mm-hmm. that we will have as a company is only going to grow in the AI space, in the quantum space, mm. 
cloud space and blockchain. I think one other, one other item I want to mention is everyone is searching for meaning yeah. and impact. And I think IBM is really going to deliver now. Uh, I mean, we've been delivering for a while, but I think really it's all coming together as far as delivering impact and meaning and, um, and innovating in spaces that people will recognize and it's, gonna, it's going to help people. So I'm really, I'm excited about that as far as impact and meaning and being a part of that uh, and um, enjoying the new energy that we have. That sounds really exciting about Red Hat. We'll have to check that out. What about you personally? So you're, you're the host of a podcast, actually. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. So you host that uh, with Dave is your co-host. Yes. How did you guys meet? So Dave Magdalena, we met in college. Yeah. We met in college. Uh, and so we, we weren't roommates, but we were pretty close. We lived, uh, just a few rooms from each other. And I would say our bond, uh, was, was set when we decided to go winter camping in Vermont. I, I think it was February. It was basically the coldest time of the year. And we, we climbed a mountain because we were young and apparently executive function and frontal lobe uh, command and making <laughs> is absent. And we just got in a car and drove to a mountain and hiked up it. And there was probably four feet, a lot, basically uh, a, a, almost a human's uh, amount, you know, almost a normal full grown um, man's height of, um, of snow, deep snow. And we climbed up there and we got there at night. And, uh, and I don't, we believed, and I also believe we were, we were correct we did not believe we could find our way back if we needed to. And uh, it got really, really cold, way below freezing. And we uh, really had to rely on some of the winter survival training we had gotten. Uh, I wasn't sure we would make it out of there, but we did. And, um, and we definitely got to know each other through the night because we were too cold to sleep. We were talking and just, regretting our, our decisions <laughs> we had made and we had a connection and we, we kept that connection yeah. and he ended up going into banking and having a pretty successful career in banking and working in New York city. And, um, and then we, and then he started getting involved with design and design sprints and innovation. And we went to sprint and <laughs> San Francisco sprint uh, 2.0. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Kai puts on every year. Yeah. And, uh, and we met there and listened to some amazing, amazing speakers and amazing human beings. Uh, and he said, well, you know, we need to keep this going. We learned too much. We can't let this die here on the vine. Um, <laughs> so we should set up a, we should set up a podcast and have conversations and we, we would call it experiences of insight. Mm. A favorite episode you want to point people towards there? Any favorite, favorite children? I have to look. Um, <laughs> but I would say, um, since we, I just mentioned Kai. Yeah. The Kai podcast is huge. We actually travel. We very rarely travel to interview, to be with humans. But, um, but Kai was a special one. Yeah. And, um, and so we went out to Google. And, uh, and I just really like, uh, I know I mentioned earlier the importance of leading, leading through vulnerability. Uh, especially when you don't have to, right? And people are in a position where they don't have to be vulnerable and actually they have a lot of experience and they're incredibly capable and qualified, but yet they choose 
they choose to be vulnerable, at least, you know, tell, to tell the truth about how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always felt that Kai, in my opinion, had that really nice balance of no zero negative ego, uh, very skillful, artistic, fun, um, kind, mm-hmm. kind. And, um, and so to just go on site and have the kind have access to her and I thought was really special. Mm. Get around that. Kai Haley from Google. She's amazing. What is, so back to that, what is next for you? Are we going to see a, a book from Lee Duncan? How are we going to capture all of this wisdom that we've just heard from you in the last 56 minutes? Are we packaging it up? What's happening? Maybe. So we've, we're working on some patents for things. Yeah. Some, uh, as far as um, design research, we have a, a patent we're playing around with. We'll see what happens. IBM is very aggressive in patents. <laughs> very aggressive. We, we are hardcore in patents. So we love patents. We yeah. heart them. So I'm working on that. And, um, and then we, I think in a week or so, we're going to be talking to IBMers at RTP, Research Triangle Park. That's where I work in mm-hmm. North Carolina, USA about the cyber physical sprint we're going to be presenting to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and hopefully we can um, share that external, maybe create a book. We've also developed some prototyping cards of how to prototype artificial intelligence of things uh, and IoT, normal stuff. Um, so hopefully we can, we can share that. That would be amazing. We'll share some of the links of the things that you've mentioned today as well in terms of resources with everyone. One final question. Is there anything that people should be listening to or reading or anything that's really influenced you in recent times? Hmm. Well, I would say uh, stoicism is a huge Mm -hmm. design. I would refer to it design stoicism. If you want to design well, you need to be open to new ideas and understand the perspective and, and, uh, and just observe. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when we're designing, th- and, and when that's done, when the work is done, you, you still need to continue to set your own beliefs aside and opinions and preferences aside. So I would consider that to be design stoicism. Um, so I, I've been reading a lot of books on how to be, how, how to do that. Uh, how to um, to be curious and not be opinionated, and how to behave and how to interact with people. Um, so I think collaboration, mm-hmm. collaboration, collaborating well, developing sessions and facilitating in a way that brings out the best in people, mm-hmm. and to ask provocative questions, to have provocative prompts, to have provocative methods, to solve things that need to be solved, to get a fire in your belly for what's important and critical. And match, I would, I would suggest everyone to match the goals and priorities of the organization with something that's also meaningful mm-hmm. to society. And design stoicism, I believe, is the way to do that. So good. Don't just wait for the organisation to tell you the way that you need to be running things or doing things or what to believe, having that vision yourself. Amazing. Letters from a Stoic. Have you read that one, Seneca? Yes. That one. Yeah, yeah I, I try to remember the quotes, but some of them, 
There's so many quotes. I have to say, just to, I have to be careful when I, when I read or listen to it because it is so nutrient dense yes. that my brain starts hurting and I feel guilty if I'm not writing it down. There's so much there. I'm like, ah, oh. so there has to be, I, I, I have to, um, I have to do that at very specific times. So true. I have like a copy on my desk at all times. It's, um, but yeah, it's heavy stuff, isn't it? It takes a lot just yes. to read one. Uh, Lee, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for your just generous, but so clever, so humble answers uh, and wisdom that you've given to everyone this morning. So before they start their working day, um, we are incredibly grateful. Um, there's just so much to, to unpick and unpack from all of this. So we're going to try and break it down and, and get those Leeisms far and wide, get them all out there. Um, thank you so much. And um, I hope you, good luck with everything that's coming up. Good luck with the Red Hat acquisition um, and integration. Um, and we look forward to, to keeping in touch with you and all the amazing work that you're going to be doing in future years. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Lee. We'll chat soon. Bye.